Good morning, IBC family. Good morning, IBC family. You know, it's interesting, uh, I know uh, you little older worshipers, those who are in school right now, spring break is now over. Wah, wah, wah. I know, it's really depressing, I know. All week, this week, the, the kids are waking up going, is this still spring break? And it's like, yeah, it's still spring break. They're like, that means no school? Yes, no school. Katie, school starts tomorrow. I'm sorry. Well, I know, I know. We'll, we'll work on that. But spring break is over. But here's the, here's the good news. In just a couple of months, summer vacation is, is going to be coming. It's right around the corner. There's something more to look forward to with uh, summer break. And you know what that also means? Not only for uh, just you know, a break for everybody that's going to school, but it also means for seniors, they're going to graduate. Seniors are going to graduate, and obviously graduation signifies a couple different things. It signifies both an end to a season, but it also signals a a beginning of another season. So there's both an end to one season of a long kind of uh, season of schooling, and of course it could mean more schooling depending on what the next season looks like for you. But for those of you who are going to graduate or you know those who are going to graduate, this is also the beginning of another season for them. And I think in a very parallel sense, we see that we are coming to the end of our season in the study of Matthew. Can you believe it? We actually started our study in the Gospel of Matthew back in December of 2018. And here we are today in uh, April of 2021, and we have finally come to the end of our study in the Gospel of Matthew. But here's what's kind of unique about the end of this study. The fact is, even though we are coming to the last passage of our study in this gospel, it is also just the beginning. And I I think we'll see together as we read this passage, we'll see that, yes, we come to this final conclusion, but it's really a launching point for the next season of ministry, for the next season of our lives. And so um, what we'll see here is that Jesus in his an exhortation to his disciples, he basically says this, what I have begun, I want you to continue to do. What, was, what I initiated, I want you to continue to, to carry forward. And of course, as we'll see in our text, this is not just a, a, a descriptive time, this is prescriptive for all, you know, for all times and all places and for all people. And so what that means is that Jesus' exhortation to his disciples, to his immediate listeners, is also an exhortation to us today. In other words, it's a universal exhortation. It's a timeless exhortation. And so, therefore, what Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's also saying to us today, saying, what I have begun, I want you to continue to do. So read along with me or listen along with me, but I encourage you, if you get a chance, open your Bibles, turn on your Bibles, whatever it may case may be, to Matthew chapter 28, and we will read from verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. I hear the pages flipping, so I'll give you a second to turn there. Again, Jesus has, has rose from the dead. He's addressed his, his, some of his disciples. Luke, uh, Matthew's gospel, you know, every gospel ends a little differently. We see here in Matthew's gospel, he pretty much summarizes or kind of kind of wraps things up very quickly. Verse 16 of Matthew 28, we read this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, 
to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. No doubt if you've grown up in the church, no doubt if you've been around IBC even for any length of time, this passage has been referred to on a number of occasions. So this is probably not the first time that you have heard this passage either read to you or that you have not also read yourself in many ways. But as we read this passage that may be very familiar to us, there's also a kind of a, another very familiar parallel passage that we see in Acts chapter 1. This is a part Luke's gospel, his second gospel we see in Acts chapter 1. And this is kind of how Luke describes Jesus' final moments with his disciples before he ascends into heaven. We see in Acts 1.8, he says, but you, this is Jesus speaking, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Of course, now we're contrasting with what Luke says in Acts chapter 1. The question maybe in our minds, or at least that I think is worth answering is this, what does it mean that they, Jesus' disciples, and of course, since we are his disciples, that we will be his witnesses? What does Jesus mean that you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a witness, in other words? Well, in this context, we see that a witness of Jesus means that all followers of Jesus are commissioned to testify. A witness is the one who testifies. It it, it communicates. It's addressing a certain topic. And in this case, it testifies to the truth of, that Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus says that you will be my witnesses, that you will be my testifiers. You will testify to this fact that Jesus Christ is Lord over all creation and that forgiveness of sin and acceptance before God is available through Jesus. Jesus says that that's what you have been commissioned to do as a follower of Jesus, as one who's called a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus, you are called to testify to this fact. In fact, that's why Jesus says in Matthew 28, he says, go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples. Now, there's a few observations that I think are worth taking time to elaborate on a little more fully in our Matthew 28 passage because, again, we we know this passage, but the question is, do we understand it as we ought to? So just a few observations that we need to make. First of all, the first observation is this, that that the, the command to make disciples is the only command in this whole passage. To get real grammatical, because our English teacher over here, it's the only verb in this passage. Now you might wonder, well, what is the big deal about that? Why does that matter? Well, it's interesting because Jesus, by kind of clearly helping us understand this is the only exhortation or verb in this passage, it also helps us understand what all the 
perceived verbs are actually communicating to us. So first of all, let's just see this. Make disciples is the command of Scripture. And therefore, when we look at the passage that says, go and make disciples and baptize and teach, those are all supportive commands. They're not technically commands. Grammatically, they're called participles. And a participle usually ends with a little ing at the end. What that means is that this tells you how you are to implement or how you are to fulfill a certain command or exhortation. So in this case, we see that Jesus saying, make disciples. All disciples are called to be disciple makers. And the way in which we fulfill that effectively, according to Jesus, is by going, is by baptizing, and is by teaching. According to Matthew's passage here, this is how we fulfill our biblical mandate of making disciples and being his witnesses. But there's a second observation that is also worth pointing out, and that is, it, it tell, really, we see that Jesus tells us why we are called to make disciples. In other words, yes, we are called to. We see that very clearly in Scripture. But the question is, as we oftentimes, as little kids oftentimes refer to, why? I want you to do this. Why? So Jesus tells us why. Verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in, in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. That's why he says, therefore, because of this truth, because of this fact, therefore you need to go into all the world and tell people that I have all authority. That I have all authority. Now why does that matter? What does that mean that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth? Well, basically it means this, that Jesus is Lord over all. That Jesus is Lord over all his creation, over all people, whether they acknowledge it or not, whether they realize it or not, whether they submit themselves to that or not, Jesus is Lord over all, over all his creation. And the reason why this matters, the reason why it's important that other people understand this is that one day, Paul tells us in Philippians 2, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over all in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. One day, all of God's creation will acknowledge this truth, but here's the dilemma. Here's the importance of it, because it is only when someone acknowledges the lordship of Christ through their life, not just in their words, but is seen through their life, that is a faith that saves. In other words, everyone will one day acknowledge Jesus as Lord, but it, is only, it only it translates to eternal life for those who do it while they're alive. Yes, we will all live and we will all die one day and we will all stand before Christ one day and the question is, did you acknowledge Jesus as Lord over all through your life? Well, Jesus says this, it's important that we do that because if we don't, if, if someone does not have that mindset, if someone does not adopt that attitude, if someone has not made that decision, then they cannot be guaranteed the gift of eternal life. So Jesus says, why is it important that people know that I have all authority? Because, because I have authority, I will be judged. I am the one who, who saves. I am the one to, to, that is the means to inherit eternal life. But a third observation is this. 
what empowers us or what emboldens us to actually fulfill the task of making disciples. I mean, Jesus says, you need to go make disciples everywhere. To all people groups, everywhere. Everybody needs to hear that I am Lord and I am God and I demand their allegiance. And on one hand, you go, how in the world am I going to do that? What empowers me to do that? Well, Jesus says, He says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. In other words, what empowers you, what empowers me, what empowers all disciples of Jesus to fulfill actually an impossible task is that Jesus promises to be with us. He promises His presence, His his undivided presence and attention with us and for us. And in other words, He's actually working through us. So the confidence we have in fulfilling this, this divine mandate is not dependent upon our ability. It's not dependent upon our skill. It's not dependent upon our ingenuity. It's not dependent upon any number of things that we might bring to the table. Yes, God does like to work through our skill. He likes to work through the talents that he has given us. He likes to work through the personality that he has given us. But in the end, to fulfill this mandate of making disciples, we are fully dependent upon Jesus and specifically the presence of Jesus In other words, we don't save people. We can't save people. Only God saves people, but yet he desires to use us. In other words, it's as Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, we are ambassadors for Christ. What does that mean to be ambassadors for Christ? That that God is making his appeal through us. And what that means is this. That God says, I want you to testify to my goodness. I want you to testify to what I offer. I want you to testify to my grace and my mercy. I want you to testify to who I am to a world that does not know. I mean, I've told you this before, but every time I, this year was a little, last year was a little different, but every time I get to go back to the high school and I get to be the Protestant evangelical representative, I'm amazed, and I shouldn't be, but I'm amazed at how much people have never even heard the name of Jesus. By the way, a little side note, if you're wondering if there's anybody around Port Angeles that has yet to hear Jesus, well, let's just say the harvest is plentiful and ripe for planting lots of seeds, I should say at least. There are so many people right here in Port Angeles that have not even heard the name of Jesus, let alone have had a chance to respond to the goodness and the gift of of eternal life that Jesus offers. And so we see that this, God says, you are to go make disciples. And by the way, the reason why you are, because one day everybody will know that I am Lord, that I am God, but but for those who are going to be saved, they must do it while they're alive. And I want to use you to do this. I want to use you to testify to my goodness. I want to use you to, to, to be a conduit of my blessing and of my grace to those who have yet to receive it. And by the way, Because this task is actually impossible to do, I will be with you. In fact, I'll be the one doing it through you. That's the Great Commission. What has a disciple of Jesus been commissioned to do? To make disciples. Specifically, to make disciples that make disciples. 
I don't know if you have, may, uh, have been aware of this or not, but if, when you walk in the doors of the foyer, there's a reason why we intentionally kind of strip the walls clean and we want to kind of bring a singular message both through the vision and the mission of IBC. And the mission of IBC, you'll see on the, when you're walking in the doors, on the right-hand side up there, it says the mission, to make disciples that make disciples. I'll be honest with you, in all transparency, we are trying to indoctrinate you. We are trying to subtly just help you, even, even if you don't even take a, a mental note of that, hopefully you see that so many times you're going, oh, that's what we're here to do. Make disciples that make disciples. But we only do so by God's empowering presence and grace. I think another important question in all this, because we can talk Christianese, right? Go and make disciples. Yeah, let's do that. What is a disciple? I mean, what, what, when we say go and make disciples, what are we really saying when we say make disciples? I mean, do, do, we, do we understand what a disciple of Jesus really is, right? Because if we don't know what a disciple is, then it's hard to make a disciple of Jesus. So it's important that we have an understanding, that we have a clear uh, understanding of what we mean or what Jesus means by making disciples. Let me just say this. Let me just briefly describe what a disciple is not, okay? What a disciple is not. A disciple is not someone who is merely spiritually aware. That's not what a disciple is. Not someone who is just sensitive to spiritual things or, or, or agreeable to spiritual things. A disciple is not someone who just believes in God or even believes that Jesus existed. As James would say, even the demons believe in Jesus, but that belief does not lead to salvation. So a disciple is not just someone who, who is, 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 believes in God and believes in Jesus. In fact, a disciple is not someone who just knows the truth. It's not just about what I know. It's not what's in my head. It's not what I can regurgitate. It's not even the verses that I have potentially memorized over a period of time. I mean, all those things can be really good, but that's not necessarily or most clearly what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. No, what is a disciple? Let me just summarize it in a very succinct, simple manner. A disciple of Jesus is one who obeys Jesus. If you want to understand what a disciple of Jesus is, it's a person who obeys Jesus. You see, the definition of Christian means to be a follower of Christ. It means to be a follower of Jesus. And what it means to follow Jesus is to obey Jesus. As even Jesus himself said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will what? Obey me. Right. If you love me, you will obey me. And again, after all, this is what the purpose of teaching is, as Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 20. He says, go in your going, make disciples. And you do this by baptizing, and you also do this by teaching. Teaching is not just so that we can grow in our knowledge of God, though that's very important. It's foundational, Right? but it doesn't end there. We teach people not just to accumulate facts so that we can win Christian Jeopardy one day or something. That's not why we do that. We teach people so that people become conformed to the image of Christ. We teach people so they become obedient to the teachings of Christ. So it's not just what we 
what we build up in our minds. It's what we follow through with. It's what we implement in our lives. And you know what? Here's the thing. It can be, it, it can be so deceiving to think that, that I'm right with God and think that I'm accepted by God based on what I know about God. You might even think, for example, that I believe God exists and I believe in, or I believe in a higher power and I even believe that Jesus is God and, 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 and the necessary conduit to be my Savior. But here's the thing. Here's the truth. Here's what we must understand. The real distinction between a true disciple of Jesus and the one who is a false believer is observed in one's obedience to Christ. So people can say all kinds of things. People can adhere and acknowledge and, oh yeah, yeah. But the real question is, are you obedient to Christ? Now granted, as we've talked before, there's no such thing as perfect obedience except in Christ. He was perfectly obedient. We have proven our imperfect obedience time and time again, daily usually. So there's forgiveness for that. But in a sense, what God is really trying to do, what he's trying to foster in our lives as his followers, as his children, he wants us to be to not just hear, but to act. Not just be hearers, but to be doers. Not just to know what is true, but to follow through in our obedience. So let me summarize it in this way. We are all called to continue what Jesus started, which is to make disciples. And what is a disciple? It is a person who has repented of their sin and is following Jesus by their obedience to his teachings. So let me ask you a question. Does this description of discipleship describe your relationship with Jesus? Is your faith marked by this kind or quality of discipleship? I think it's something that we all have to grapple with consistently, regularly, as we take honest inventory of our lives. There's another question I want to ask. And that is this, how has God specifically called you to fulfill your biblical mandate or what we call the Great Commission? How has God specifically called you? I think it's an important question because if you cannot answer the question, it's likely you're not fulfilling your biblical mandate. Or you just needed some encouragement to help articulate and clarify where God has you for such a time as this. But how has God called you? How are you fulfilling your ministry? By the way, every Christian, every follower of Jesus has a God-given ministry. The question is, how has God you called you to fulfill it? How has God called you to fulfill the great commission because here's the unique thing about fulfilling the great commission 
there is great variety. It's not limited to just one or two things. No, there, there are so many. I mean, it's just, it, 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 it's, it, you can't even grasp the, the length and the depth of how God calls all kinds of people to fulfill the Great Commission in a very specific or unique way. For example, some of you might be fulfilling the Great Commission or are called to fulfill the Great Commission in a way that, uh, that you have to change everything you do. In fact, it might even say, hey, it's time to pack up your bags and to relocate altogether. It's time to pack up your bags and transplant yourself in another part of the world because, as Jesus says, to the uttermost parts of the world, right? I think it's actually very timely, speaking of timeliness, it's very timely that we have the Smith family in our presence here this morning. Smith, can you just stand up so we can kind of get a visual right now? we got TJ and Karen Smith and their kids and their newly adopted kids. For those of you who do not know TJ and Karen Smith and their family, um, they have spent a long time in um, Asia, and uh, now the Lord has actually been in through a, a long process, but now it's coming to a head now. They are being, tra- it's okay to say, right? They are being transplanted to a, another location in, uh, in the world called Dubai. And I would love for them to kind of just share real briefly how God is fulfilling the, how they are fulfilling the Great Commission and how God is using them to make disciples in a place called Dubai. So go ahead and introduce your family, TJ. And Good morning. Good morning. Yes, my name is TJ. This is Karen and uh, Chaya and Afsana. And the newly with us here in IBC is Kakoli and Ethan. Uh, so they came home about five and a half months ago, and so we're pretty excited to have them with us here. And we're also excited June 1st, we shift or move to the UAE, United Arab Emirates, uh, to join a church called Redeemer Church. Dubai's an interesting place. You know, there are millions of people who go there for work, business, and then they're often relocated back to their, um, their respective home countries. And so it's a unique opportunity to make disciples of the nations. The church we'll be a part of is um, got people from all over, the Philippines, uh, Pakistan, India, uh, many of the Middle Eastern countries that, that surround the UAE. And so it's a unique opportunity um, to be able to freely preach the gospel and make disciples of the nations. Yeah. Just, I mean, I just, again, one of the many ways among many things is God calls some people, not everybody, but God calls some people going, hey, TJ, and by the way, they're, you know, TJ is from here, you know, or not really from here, but he's been here, they'll spend a long time here, his, his parents are here, and, and now God has got, brought him and his family all around the world, and he's glorifying himself, and he's fulfilling the, his biblical mandate by literally packing his bags and living in a place that is what we don't call home, but it is going to be their home. And so I just love what God has been doing through your ministry. It's been fun to be partnered with you and that brother and sister, and, I just, and we just are eager to continue that partnership with what God is doing through you. So, But there's other ways. There's other ways in which God fulfills, that we fulfill the Great Commission and that God glorifies himself. Some people, like the Smith family, are called to literally pack up their bags and relocate, but some people are called to reach the uttermost parts of the world in a different way. And for example, some people are called to kind of live what we call stateside, but they go internationally on on multiple occasions. And our brother, Dave, why don't you stand up right now? This is Dave Myers. 
Dave Myers is the president and CEO of ZimZam Global, and if we've talked about that many times before, but ZimZam Global is a ministry that we are uh, that we are closely partnered with, and it's really all about planting church through kids. Dave, why don't you just introduce yourself and just give a give a quick overview of what sure, that looks I told, like? I told Aaron that I'm really good at taking three minutes and make it in twenty, so I won't I, I won't Thank do you, that. Dave. I'm, uh, just <laughs> no. Um, by the way, it's great to meet you. I I've heard so much about you guys, and that's. Dubai. I love that place. So that's going to be amazing. So, um, hey, it's good to be back. I feel like, you know, being at home here and um, thank you for your prayers uh, over this last year. And uh, just to just to say that I was on a uh, 50 mile bike ride back in May and wasn't feeling well. And right in the middle of the desert had this like severe heart attack and God spared my life a second time. And um, uh, it's been quite a quite a journey uh, over the last uh, year with that, but I want to thank you for your prayers and, and for Tom and Aaron and your families, Bruce and Karen here for the encouragement and uh, helping me through that process. So thank you first of all for that, and then uh, Zimzam Global. Uh, it's amazing what God continues to do in spite of uh, global lockdowns, in spite of um, not being able to travel. And uh, we have seen just God just doing powerful things uh, with our teams and, and our leaders. And so much so that we have so much opportunity right now that, um, Lord willing, uh, we'll be expanding across not only East Africa, but opening up West Africa uh, through our partnership together Embrace Liberia through Pastor Anthony, who I think arrived back from uh, Liberia last night. And Lord willing, in the mm-hmm. next 12 months, we'll be opening up West Africa through a church planting training in Liberia. And that's going to be the platform for that region of coming alongside and helping to equip leaders to plant new churches, to reach and disciple kids. And we're really <laughs> excited about that because that puts us in a much more dominant Muslim context and going more further into North Africa. Mm-hmm. And then the, another area is that, uh, Lord willing, we possibly might be able to get back to uh, South Asia up in Northeast India in November. We're hoping and praying that Tom and Aaron can be with us for that. And uh, that will be that we're going to be training more leaders to take the training to train more leaders and then be right on the border of Nepal and Bhutan in training those leaders there to see new churches planted. So a lot of exciting things happening. One quick story. Uh, through COVID, as we pivoted a little bit, we had to help feed and bring supplies into leaders across Africa and South Asia. And we've had actually Hindu families, because of the love of Jesus practically given to them, that they've made a 180 turn and place their faith in Jesus for the very first time over this last year, many families. And a gentleman saw what was happening, and he was so excited that he's donating some land for our future church plant uh, in that region in in, uh, northeast India. And so just so many things like that, Aaron, that God is just continuing to move and work. And we have plans, brother, as well, to uh, open up Latin America sometime in the next 12 months. So uh, God's on the move. Uh, People are coming to Jesus. Uh, Churches are being planted. But we just can't put a spreadsheet around all of what the Holy Spirit is doing. So thank you so much. Yeah. No, thank you so much, Dave and TJ. And just here's the thing. It's like what we're trying to kind of 
help highlight for you and just kind of encourage or even plant seeds in thought is there's all kinds of ways to fulfill our biblical mandate of making disciples. And again, it's different for everybody. And there's partnerships that we as a church have been super blessed by and, and, and we continue to move forward in. And what I love about it is it's not like we, we have our ideas. As Proverbs says, we make our plans, but it's the Lord who guides our steps. It's the Lord who leads us. We, in the end, we don't know the timing and we don't know the way in which God is seeking to ultimately help use his people to testify to the goodness of Jesus Christ all around the world. And so we're just going in with open hands going, God, we're here, we're available, what do you want us to do? And I love the legacy that IBC has had uh, on a number of levels, uh, both internationally as well as locally, that we get to have a footprint, that we really get to pursue and fulfill our biblical mandate. And so I just love it. Yeah, like you said, Anthony, our dear brother Anthony Sacker, he got back yesterday, um, I know he's probably like completely reversed in schedule right now, so he's probably in, in bed as he should be. Um, but you'll get the chance to get a report from him uh, in a very short time. Uh, I Just looking at my mother-in-law here, here's another person who's fulfilling her ministry and my father-in-law, and they, they go to Uganda every year. And uh, they do these, um, they do the, all kinds of training specifically kind of with two married couples. Again, if you understand Uganda, many of the older generations got killed off and so there's not a whole lot of parents and grandparents to kind of help these young kids go, how do I do this married thing? How, how do I love my wife or love my husband in a God-honoring manner? So they come alongside and do these trainings and encourage, and now they just get to be, in a sense, like these life coaches for these young couples, and they're continuing the ministry even in their absence. And so everybody's got a part to play. So in some ways, it means to pack up and go. Sometimes it just means to go when God leads you, Sometimes fulfilling the Great Commission means to just be faithful where you're at. Specifically, what I'm talking about is fulfilling the Great Commission is not just a location necessarily. It's not just what you go and do necessarily. Fulfilling the Great Commission is a mindset. It's the motivation in what you do and as you go about living your life. And what I'm getting at is that you view your work or you view your vocation as an act of, not just an act of worship or, or just a, a, a reason or a means to receive a paycheck. That's not the only reason, but to fulfill the Great Commission in your work also means that you are there to make disciples. Now, I understand that in the United States, in different contexts, sometimes you don't have the liberty to just kind of share the gospel with people openly. But you know what? Here's the thing. God may open doors of opportunity. God may actually open up doors of opportunity to share his goodness in very uh, opportunistic ways. I was just meeting with a dear brother this past week, um, Rick Anderson, and I'm just catching up with him and how, he, how is he doing? I mean, he's, just, he's a home builder, so he builds lots of homes and, he, and he's super busy and God has really blessed him. But I just asked him like, you know, so how has God been using you, Rick? And he just started listing off story after story after story. Again, he's there as a builder, right? But God uses him in very different ways also, in actually fuller ways. He's like, I just the other day, I was uh, able to pray with somebody who's, who just lost their dad. And, just, and the day before that, I was able to pray with someone who just got diagnosed with cancer. So on one hand, they're here to talk with me about building a home, and yet God has supernatural purposes beyond the home. And so this is what I'm talking about. What I'm getting at is this. 
Great Commission is a mindset. It's the means by which we go about it. It's wherever God has us, the question is, for example, am I a teacher who is fulfilling the Great Commission by the way in which I love these kids? Am I, am I, a, am I a carpenter who is fulfilling the Great Commission uh, by the way I, I by act and by the way I talk either with the crew or with clients? Am I a car salesman who is fulfilling the Great Commission because I'm an honest car salesman? I know it's much like lawyers sometimes, but I love that fact that the, the Wilders are not like that. The question is, are you fulfilling the Great Commission through wherever God has you? I think there's a third thing, that, a third observation that we can make or, uh, to just kind of enrich what this looks like even more, but we see that fulfilling the Great Commission means to be actively participating in, in some sort of local church family. In other words, there's no such thing as being a follower of Jesus, in most cases, who is not regularly participating in a local church of some kind. Now, local church can be kind of a general statement. It can be much like this here. It can be other contexts as well. But the question is, are you actively participating in a local church gathering with, with fellow believers that are seeking to glorify God and be used by God to fulfill their biblical mandate? I didn't get a picture of it, but Tom, were you the one that kind of showed me just a, a picture that was forwarded to you about the zebra and the lion? Yeah, <laughs> actually, it might have been. I think it was Jenny that kind of forwarded that along. It's this, you know, it's this classic picture where you have a kind of the the African sub, uh, you know, the the field basically the desert, and you have a whole kind of uh, I don't know what you call them. Is it a pack or a herd of zebras off on the end, kind of thing? And then there's one zebra all by his lonesome. Guess what happens when that zebra is all by his lonesome? It's called dinner. And the lions, they don't attack a pack, they attack the isolated. And yet, how oftentimes do we, do we approach our, our Christian life, especially our participation in a local church family, and going, well, you know, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church. Or, I love Jesus, but I have, there's really no need for me to be a part, actively a part of any consistent church. And, and, and the problem is, sometimes we are like that zebra, and we're wondering why we're maybe not healthy in our discipleship because maybe we're pursuing Christ in an isolated manner. By the way, being a Christian by default means we can no longer pursue Christ in an isolated manner. It means to be doing it together. You are a church family. You are part of the body of Christ and we must be proactive in that manner. There's a fourth thing I want to highlight and that is this. Fulfilling the Great Commission means to serve your local church family. Not just to be an active participant, to show up regularly, but to serve your local church family in some way. And what I'm getting at is this. For some of us, you've been a part of IBC in this case for a very long time, but maybe perhaps you've never really kind of jumped in. Maybe perhaps you've never really kind of taken a step of going, you know, I participate in a sense I show up, but maybe I need to be an active server Maybe I, need, maybe I need to kind of take a, ne- a next step of commitment and actually do something. And you might even ask the question, you know, Aaron, I don't know what to do. Maybe I don't even know my gifts. I don't even know where to start. I love what Kevin DeYoung said a, long, a little while back. He says, just do something. Don't overthink it. Just do something. 
just get started. What is it that you're passionate about? Perhaps, you know, here's a, here's a, a practical way in which I always encourage people is when people say, I've noticed this, and it'd be really cool if the church could do this. And, I, I, and, I, and my, usually my immediate response is, I'm like, the fact that you recognize that probably tells me that you need to be a part of the solution to this. And of course, it's like, well, you know, I got all kinds of things going on. I'm not really sure. Again, I'm not dogging anybody here. I'm just saying this. The fact that you recognize something probably means that God is calling you to be a more active part of that specific need. And if you're wondering, how, is, is there any way to get involved at IBC? I just want to say thank you for asking. Because there are a number of ways to fulfill the Great Commission, to fulfill our biblical mandate in the most practical of ways. My wife right now is in the nursery. Guess what? We have three kids in the nursery. And so, uh, so one of the ways in which we are also trying to be active servers is going, you know what? We're going to be a part of the solution. And so she gets to be on the rotation, serving in the nursery, helping out so that you parents can be relieved for at least an hour and a half, right? It's, it's like, it seems like an eternity or maybe it doesn't seem long enough. I don't know what it is for you, but just having a brief moment where you're like, ah, I can listen undistracted, that's an incredible gift. If you're wondering how to get involved specifically with IBC, I'm looking at my dear brother, Corey, Pastor Corey, and uh, Corey, can you just stand up a second? You all know Corey. If you don't know Corey, there's Corey Durbin right there. I'm tempted to just have you come on up here and give a speech, but <laughs> maybe Loretta will give a speech for you. No? Okay. Next time. But Corey is our pastor of student ministries, and can I just encourage you in this way? If you're going, I don't know where to get involved. Is there any place for me? There is a huge need for people that are willing to take the time to love on these young disciples of Jesus to include them in their lives, to pursue them intentionally, to do so in a committed way and in a consistent way. And if you have any questions or going like, you know what, I might be able to do that. Corey, I know, would love to talk with you. Corey, are you going to be out there in the foyer? Yeah, he'll be in the foyer after service. If you have any questions, even if you're willing to kind of put your toes in the water, he would love to talk with you about that. So we have the student ministries. I know nursery could always use more workers. Um, obviously, looking at Tom, Pastor Tom here, we, there's always a need for life groups. We get calls every single week. We would love to be a part of a life group. And we guess, you know what that means? We need more life group leaders. You know how many kids are in my, my current life group? Lots. Just the Baker family and our family alone make up 11 kids. And there's other families and stuff. And we got the Thompsons over here with their kids. We, we have tons of kids. We love it. It's great. It's loud. It's chaotic. But here's what I'm getting at. Um, we need more life group leaders. We, we have a hard time saying no to anybody. But at the same time, we, as you well know, the dynamic changes significantly when you have 30 kids. Let's just say it's sometimes interrupted on occasion. <laughs> and we don't, we don't mind that at all. I'm just saying, guess what? If, some, if God is prompting your heart, even to facilitate, even just to open up your home, the need is definitely there. This summer, guess what? VBS is coming up. There are, people are already recruiting. I know Rachel and, and Sue are already recruiting for VBS. 
That's a huge endeavor. It's a huge bite to, to, to kind of to pursue, but it, it requires a lot of people because a lot of kids come. But it is an incredible opportunity because the seeds are planted. Kids are coming to faith in Jesus Christ every single year. I know God has intentions to do the same thing even this summer, but guess what? We need your help. So I could keep going on and on. I'm not going to keep going on and on. The question I have for you is, what role do you play? What is your part in your biblical mandate to fulfill the Great Commission? As I said in the beginning, what we are called to do, what you are called, what I am called, what all disciples of Jesus are called to do is to continue what Jesus began 2,000 years ago. You see, Jesus was a man and a Savior who was on a mission. He wasn't just coincidentally arriving on the scene 2,000 years ago, but he came at an appointed time, sent by his Father for a very specific mission, and, and Luke 19 tells us what that mission is. It says, For the Son of Man, what did he come to do? came to seek and to save the lost. This is Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, the, the, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world. Why? To save sinners. That's the mission that Jesus came to fulfill and they did it perfectly. And we are forever grateful and we, and we forever remember the sacrifice that he gave on our behalf. He came to die so that we might live. Peter says it this way, Christ suffered for our sins once and for all. He never sinned. He died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. The fact is, brothers and sisters, Jesus was a man who was on mission. Jesus was a man who was on mission, and his mission was to save us from our sins, was to deal with our sin problem that we could not deal with ourselves. And he came as the perfect Lamb of God to die so that you and I could live. And not just continue living with hope in this life, that is definitely true, but to live forever one day. The way in which Jesus fulfilled his mission to the very end and was able to say it is finished is because he had he exhibited full surrender. And then he calls us as his children, as his disciples, surrender everything because it is in your surrender that you gain your life. So the question I leave for you this morning, church family, is this. How has God called you to fulfill your mandate to make disciples? Heavenly Father, Right now, we just say we love you. And because we love you, we want to serve you. And I know that, Father, we all are called in different ways. And uh, every, every gift of service maybe doesn't look exactly the same as the person next to us. But, Father, help us to know. Help us to have a, a firm grasp. Help us to have an absolute assurance of the ministry that you've given to us. And help us to be faithful to that ministry. 
And Father, if we are not serving in some capacity, if we're not serving in some way, help us to, may we feel compelled by your spirit, not compelled by guilt, not compelled for any other motivation except that we want to testify to your goodness. We want others to know that there is a God who loves them. We want others to know that there's a Savior who came and dealt with their sin and, and offers eternal life. And that eternal life is, yes, a future reality, but it begins now. And that hope and assurance and that peace and that joy can be experienced now. So, Father, to that end, may we fulfill our ministry. May we understand that though it is your final words to us, we also know that last words are lasting words. So may we take this commissioning seriously. And may we be faithful until you come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.